This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia announced plans for a series of referendums to formally annex four separatist-ruled regions of Ukraine. Russian-installed officials in Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporozhye, which make up 15% of Ukrainian territory, said residents would vote on joining Russia in the coming week. America immediately said it would not recognize the results. Ukraine's foreign minister called the move a sham. On Tuesday evening, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, was expected to give his first televised address since Russia invaded Ukraine in February, but failed to appear. The lower house of Russia's parliament passed a bill mandating harsher penalties for desertion and refusal to fight. For the first time, including crimes committed during mobilization, martial law, and wartime. The bill could be approved by the upper house as early as Wednesday. Mr. Putin urgently needs more manpower for his flagging war campaign in Ukraine. Russian paratroopers currently stationed in Syria will be transferred to the front line, the Kiev Independent reported. World leaders met in New York at the UN General Assembly, the annual UN summit, held in person for the first time in three years. Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil's president, was the first head of state to deliver his address. Participants at the summit face a daunting list of challenges. Antonio Guterres, the UN's secretary general, said there should be no illusions about the difficulties ahead. Protests erupted across Iran over the death of a young Kurdish woman, Mahasa Amini, who died in police custody last week after being arrested for wearing her hijab incorrectly. In Iran's Kurdistan province, security forces opened fire on demonstrators. At least four were killed, according to a rights group, while another 85 were injured and 200 arrested. During the protests, some women have been burning their headscarves. Violence broke out in the West Bank towns of Nablus and Jenin between security forces of the Palestinian Authority and supporters of the Islamist group Hamas. On Monday, troops of the Palestinian Authority, which is controlled by Hamas's rival, Fatah, entered Nablus and arrested Masab Sataya, a Hamas commander wanted by Israel, which insists the PA must do more to crack down on militants. Hurricane Fiona made landfall in the Dominican Republic. Torrential rain and winds of 90 miles per hour, 145 kilometers per hour, forced roads and businesses to close in the east of the Caribbean country. The hurricane is forecast to strengthen as it travels towards the Turks and Caicos Islands. Over the weekend, the storm battered neighboring Puerto Rico, killing several people cutting off power to 1.3 million of the territory's residents and leaving 70% without potable water. And China kept its benchmark lending rates unchanged, despite the yuan's weakening in recent weeks and central banks tightening monetary policy elsewhere. Officials decided not to increase one- and five-year loan prime rates, 
as they try to find a balance between supporting an economic recovery and bolstering the yuan. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Another jumbo rate rise from the Fed. As recently as the start of June, it seemed inconceivable to most investors that the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point, a jumbo increase by modern standards. But on Wednesday, it is expected to announce its third consecutive increase of that magnitude. If so, the Fed will have lifted short-term interest rates from 0% in March to 3% today, its sharpest monetary tightening in four decades. Frustratingly, there is scant evidence that the Fed's hawkishness has reined in inflation. Consumer prices in August were up by 8.3% compared with a year earlier, so some think the Fed may opt for an even bigger rate increase but others worry that it is at risk of over-tightening and damaging growth. No matter, the Fed is unlikely to relent until it sees clear signs that inflation is receding. What next for Ukraine and Russia? Ukraine's army, having swept through Kharkiv province in the northeast, is still probing Russian lines. On Monday, it announced the capture of Bilohorivka in Luhansk province. The advance is symbolically important, as it denies Russia full control of the province the Kremlin claimed to have conquered in early July. The twin city of Lysychansk and Severodonetsk lie less than 20 kilometers to the east. Russian officials have responded by accelerating plans to absorb Luhansk and next-door Donetsk province into Russia. On Tuesday, officials from the Russian puppet regimes in those provinces announced that referendums, widely expected to be rigged, will be held from September 23rd to 27th. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, Russia's parliament could pass a new law enabling harsher punishments for soldiers who surrender or disobey orders. Mobilization, martial law, and wartime, three things that Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, has avoided declaring so far, are listed as aggravating factors. That suggests they may be on the way. An awkward anniversary in the Philippines. Every year on September 21st, survivors of the cruel, corrupt regime of Ferdinand Marcos the late ex-president of the Philippines, commemorate the anniversary of his declaration of martial law in 1972. That move transformed him into an autocrat. Their remembrances on Wednesday promise to be more heartfelt than usual. That is both because this year is the 50th anniversary of the declaration, and because Marcos's son, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, now occupies the office his father once did. In May, an electorate mostly too young to remember the older regime voted overwhelmingly to make Bong Bong president. Survivors of the father's violent enormities were horrified. Yet anxiety among the opposition that a tendency towards autocracy runs in the Marcos blood seems unfounded so far. 
The younger Mr. Marcos's behavior since his inauguration in June suggests he believes that the best way for him to rehabilitate the Marcos dynasty is to respect the very democratic constitution written after a popular uprising overthrew his father in 1986. Brazil's Economy Ahead of Its Election Analysts expect policymakers at Brazil's central bank meeting on Wednesday to keep the country's key interest rate unchanged at 13.75%. The worst of Brazil's economic woes seem to be over. Having risen steadily since June 2020, monthly inflation fell in July and August. GDP grew by 1.2% in the second quarter compared with the first. The unemployment rate, which reached nearly 15% in 2021, has fallen to just above 9%. President Jair Bolsonaro, who was seeking re-election on October 2nd, claims that Brazil has emerged from the pandemic with a thriving economy. But that may be premature. Economists polled by the central bank expect the economy to grow by 2.7% in 2022, but by just 0.5% in 2023, as emergency spending fades away. Either way, Mr. Bolsonaro's boasts do not seem to have borne political fruit. Polls find the president trailing the opposition candidate and former president, Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, by 12 percentage points. Most people with dementia get no support. At least 55 million people worldwide are estimated to have dementia, a number expected to reach 139 million to 150 million by 2050. Dementia, which may begin as a few senior moments but progress to utter helplessness, requiring 24-hour care, is incurable. But it can be alleviated. Yet the vast majority with the condition receive little or no support from their governments. So says the latest report published on Wednesday of Alzheimer's Disease International, an umbrella group for more than 100 national associations around the world. The organization is named for the disease that is the most common cause of dementia. The report includes a survey suggesting that of those diagnosed with dementia, 37% in rich countries and 45% in lower-income countries receive no support after diagnosis. It is left to their families to look after them. And these are, in a sense, the lucky ones. Three-quarters of dementia cases are undiagnosed. That leaves more than 45 million people with dementia receiving no professional help. daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you with a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday. Which politicians led the Labour Party to disastrous defeat in the 1983 British general election? Tuesday. What in maths is defined as 
the number of different digits that a system of counting uses to represent numbers. Finally, here's the quote of the day from H.G. Wells, who was born on this day in 1866. Our true nationality is mankind. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.